anyone who is in the marriage class on Wednesday nights, if you don't have your book yet, there's plenty back there on the, the little table in front of the glass window on this side of the auditorium. So please don't leave tonight without having that. And you've got a couple assignments already that are due this Wednesday. So get those books and, and read those if you could. I, I appreciate those who went and did... Um, caroling today and what i'm asking is this is very impromptu and unofficial you know it's not like a church but tonight right after the closing prayer and i i'm gonna have a shorter sermon you can say man but you're you're like well you can say that all you want to we got to see this okay um after the closing prayer, after the closing prayer, don't go around telling our brothers that we started having choruses. Don't start that stuff. We don't need that stuff. After the closing prayer, I'm asking those who caroled, if you so feel, feel so inclined, would you please come up here and serenade us with two Christmas carols that you did today? I just, all I'm asking, just, so if you want to stay, and if you don't want to stay, and you say, I don't want to stay, well then don't stay. It's not a big deal. This is a choice thing, okay? But if you leave, you don't love God. So if... <laughs> So you just come up and, and just sing a couple of carols just to get us in the spirit of the Christmas. But they went around today. I'm so proud of them. I want to show you one picture that took place at the Bartholomew's house. <laughs> Mistletoe at the... Look at the facial, the facial features of Pat right there. Is that not... But who can blame him? Look at the other face headed toward him. I mean, who would want that? To, that is so great. I love that. So they were caroling there. And I'm sure after this took place, the carol kind of went downhill and everybody kind of lost it, I can imagine. I love what you do, going around Christmas caroling, and brings a lot of blessings to a lot of people. So thank you for that. We're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It's the shortest reading I've probably ever had somebody do, at least it seems like it, but it's a, a jam-packed verse that always has more meaning than we think. What, what caused your parents to name you what they did? There are some people I'll meet that have such unique names, I'll ask the question, because it's a great question to ask somebody when you're getting to know someone. Where where'd that name come from if it's something peculiar? My name was a combination. My mom didn't want to name, name me after anybody on either side of the family. Absolutely. Just wanted to avoid the whole debate. So my first name is from an actor, and my last name is from, or my middle name is from the only U.S. president to come from Missouri. So I think my mom was honoring the state. But she wanted no connection to disappoint or please anybody. She just wanted to kind of go off the cuff for that. There are a lot of people that will just fixate for months on just the right name. They'll go through those name dictionaries and they'll try to find the right meaning as if those meanings really have any bearing at all. And, and, and they'll come and they'll try all these things. Or there are some people, I've, when I get Melissa's class register of names of people in the library, I, I realize that some of them named their kids after a car that passed them while they were traveling on the highway. There was one family that came to, to Slice Street at one time that had the oldest daughter was Mercedes, and the last one was Cam it's Cameron, but it smelled it spelled like Camaro. So it looked like okay, it's a good thing a beetle didn't pass by, right? Some people have the weirdest ways of coming up with names, and the hardest thing for teachers is to find a name for their own kids. Every name strikes horror. 
this name. You say, well, how about this name, Billy? No, I had four of them, and they were awful. And so you go through all this list, and you can't come up with names because you have all these bad memories, and it gives, gives you hives to think of it. But when you look in Scripture, it's much more important than even we give to it. Every one of these names in Scripture, it seems, has a meaning. When you read along in Scripture, and there's a name of somebody, there's most often a footnote right there that says, it takes you down to the bottom of your page, and it says, it sounds like the word for, like, for instance, where does Isaac come from? Does anybody remember? His name means laughter. Why? You remember his mom laughed when God said you're going to have a... So his name means laughter. And every time she mentions his name, she just kind of had to, <laughs> you know. Or um, Israel. Does anybody know what the word Israel means? Wrestled with God and won. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel, or, or Peter, upon this rock, and the word, the word means rock, uh, that confession he made. I, I was reading in Moses the other day, and his name means drawn from. Every name in Scripture has some kind of connection to a context, or sometimes it's the character that kid was to live up to, or a prophecy about that person. And then you could go into the whole category of when a name is changed. So many times God changed people's names to indicate that now that they have a relationship with Him, their lives change, their character changes, and their mission changes. Names mean something. And those of you who've lived here a long time and have made a good name for yourself, you know the value of a name and the work it takes to fill that with good meaning. So that in Scripture, a parent wanted their kids to honor the name of the family because it meant something. God felt the same way when he, especially at the burning bush, when he met Moses the first time. He introduced himself and they began talking and Moses says one of his primary problems is, who am I going to say your name is? What's the big deal with names? Names are big deals. If you can't say someone's name, you know nothing about them and you have no history. And when God is willing to say to Moses, I'm about to reveal a character of myself and a long relationship with you, let me tell you what my name is. It's not Elohim. It does, it's not a generic just God. My name is Yahweh. God is inviting Moses and all of Israel, by extension, into a very personal relationship with the God of the universe. And God gives us this incredible privilege to be able to know his name. And every time he does something, he alters his name just a little bit. There's all sorts of shades of meaning in God's names that he reveals in Scripture. And in fact... Its, significant is so, its significance is so great that it is the relationship itself. It is shorthand. It's an invitation to have a relationship with someone. To know somebody's name usually indicates that I'm willing to let you in to a certain level of intimacy. Some random stranger calls you up and says, what's your name? And you're going to say, well, kind of who wants to know, right? Or you may think of like Pretty Woman, a movie I shouldn't make reference to, but I, I'm making a reference to it, and there's this woman, uh, Julia Roberts, who plays a prostitute, and so it says, just walking by, what's your name? And she says, what do you want it to be? It's a way of preventing relationship. I don't want you to know my name. I don't intend for you to know me. But when you give somebody your name, you're inviting them to a certain level of closeness. 
And God does that with us. Not only does he invite us to know his name, but he gives us his name as Christian people. He gives us the name of family. It also indicates reputa a reputation. God's reputation is wrapped up in his name and so is yours. Everybody has this certain understanding of your name. When I say the name Jezebel, what do you think of? Have you ever met anybody by that name? It was such a powerful, evil woman that nobody used that name ever again. She ruined that name for anybody who would ever wear it. Or Mother Teresa has a good name. Or Benedict Arnold. Anybody remember him? No, people who don't remember anything about history remember Benedict Arnold. I mean, it's just one of those betrayal names. Reputation. And the jugular vein for God, when Moses is standing before God, God says, back up, Moses, I'm going to destroy these people. I'm sick of them. I'm going to start all over with you. Do you know how Moses gets God to change his name? What are people going to say about your name? You promised Abraham by your name that you would have this nation. And if you bring them out here in the wilderness and destroy them, what are people going to say? Oh, that's God, the one who couldn't handle his people. And God relents. There's something powerful about appealing to the name of God. It's, it's a way of changing his mind, at least for Moses. We sang a song just a moment ago. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. We've observed the Lord's Supper today and we've sung, reminded ourselves of truth. When I just say Jesus, what, makes that, what does that make you think of? What does that cause to form in your mind? I think of this when it comes to artists. Artists will do a, create a, a work that they will put their name to it. Putting their name to it meant they believe in it. Pay lots of money, right, to have the right name on your shoes. To have the right name on your car or your underwear or whatever. And most of us will not sign something we don't believe in because our name is attached to it. I like a policy that the elders have. If we get an anonymous letter that a person doesn't have enough relationship with us to sign their name, it goes into an anonymous file. Anybody know what it is? Trash cano is what we call it. Kind of a circular file cabinet, right? Because if we don't have enough relationship for you to put a name on it, it's not worth having a discussion about. The best way we can convey this, I could convey this, is with my own family's names. I have a high view of my wife. And I have a name for her. Mel is what I call her most often. That's not really endearing, is it? Mel. Kind of like Mel's Diner. Kind of weird, right? But it is for us because I've always called her that. And everybody called her Missy. I hate that. I didn't like that, so I, I did my own. And there's other terms of endearment, dear, and stuff like that. And I have a high view of her. She's a good lady. And if I ever hear somebody saying bad things about her, that puts them on a bad level with me. And I say to people in premarital counseling, I've said this a couple times because we've been doing this a lot lately. We've got a lot of people getting married. In public, you never, ever, ever say anything bad about your spouse. Amen. Ever. Ever. And sometimes this gets bad because in Bible classes, and I, I don't mean to be sexist here, but sometimes in Bible classes, ladies will particularly bash their husbands. That's just kind of crazy to me. Never, ever, ever say anything bad or 
kind of flush your grievances out in public about your spouse. It should not happen. It's not the way we treat our spouses. Same way with your kids. When somebody's talking bad about your kids, that just puts you on a bad spot with those parents. Is that not true? I mean, even if it's true, you want to talk to me in private about it, that's fine. But if you start saying something, you and I are not going to have a good time together. And it's the same way with everybody. And by the way, the truth is, I was, gonna, I was talking to somebody this morning. I said, oh, that's so-and-so. Yeah, you better be careful. That's my cousin. You're always talking to somebody who's related to the person you're talking about. Maybe we should just never say anything bad about anybody. That sounds like a good idea, right? Now I'm getting sidetracked. All I'm saying is the name is important. And it represents the totality of a person. So when God says to us in commandment number three, don't, uh, what I want you to do is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It, this, is not about, um, this is not about God and his name. It's about God's people and God's name. How do people feel about God? Knowing what all God has done for us, how should we use His name? When you hear somebody taking God's name in vain, it doesn't say anything bad about God. It says something bad about them. And how they view God and how they appreciate what God has done. The first commandment, don't just worship me. Second commandment, do not visually misrepresent me in the world. Third commandment, do not verbally misrepresent me. Do not place me in places I do not belong that do not uphold my character. If how you're using my name is not worthy of the character I've built for myself, do not associate the two. That's the way God feels. So when you utter his name, make sure that it's an appropriate context for saying it. Now what would this include? I'm just going to say, these are all P words. I found these somewhere. I have no idea where I found them. They're not, create, not, not original to me. First of all is perjury. That's the likely actual original context of this passage. God would allow his name to be used by people as uh, an insurance and a guarantee of what they were saying. You could swear before God on the Bible if you're in a court of law. Whether, whether you're in a Bible doesn't matter. Swear before God. You can swear his name, but you had better be telling the truth. And you had better honor the promise you make. Every, no one ever had to make a vow in the Old Testament, but if you ever did make a vow in God's name, you had to complete it. So that even Jephthah, when he made that rash vow, he had to complete it. He put God's name with it. And you can't just get out of that casually. And God says, if you ever use my name as a guarantee of what you say as being true or what you're about to do that you're promising and covenanting, you better keep that covenant. Because my name is attached and it's about honor and it's about me. So don't do this. And so Jesus comes along and says, guys, if you think that you can change that and say, instead of by God, I'm going to say something lesser and then I can lie. No, you can't because here's the deal. You are universally anywhere all the time in the presence of God. And if you say something or you say you're going to do something or you're telling something as truth, you've got God as an ear witness and an eyewitness. He's standing there listening to you and you cannot as his child renege on that and not take God's name in vain you can't so 
every word you say and every promise you make take it seriously because God's listening he's your witness this is what makes baptism so important you get all these witnesses and you're saying I'm gonna live for God this is also what makes marriage so significant you might be able to somehow weasel your way out of the covenant you make with another human being but when you divorce that spouse you are going back on a covenant you made in the presence of God that's taking his name in vain a second one we think of is profanity that's what most people think of I don't think that's the original intent I don't think they would have thought about it I don't know that people use language like we do but if we if you take God's name that's supposed to be in the in the context of praise and worship and adoration and you place it as a term of anger or personal expression of strong emotion you're putting his name in a place it doesn't belong profane means out of the temple when you take the holiness of God that's supposed to be praised and you take it out of the temple and take it into the streets and you just say it as a casual word, it's profanity. So if you're ever saying his name and you're not thinking of him and what he's done for you, it is profanity. Matthew 12 says we will have to answer for every careless word we speak. Third, pretense. When you talk about things of God and you're not living the things of God, you are taking his name in vain. When you, uh, James would say it this way, when you are praising God on Sunday morning and then by that afternoon you are cursing man who's made in God's likeness, you are doing things totally contradictory. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, ever, there's many that are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to be saying, why? Because they weren't living Lord, Lord. It's one thing to say Lord, Lord, it's another thing to live Lord, Lord, and if you're not doing both of them, it's not going to do you much good. It's pretense. It's when I'm talking about the things of God and I'm talking about them as if I know them but my life is showing it's shallow and has no knowledge of him I'm living his life living my life with God's name in vain it's very real it your confession and your words must align with your actions and all together that's how you know God otherwise you're talking about things you know not it's called hypocrisy when you have a whole lot of public talk but not a lot of private faithfulness. You're saying a name that you know nothing about. It's called using his name in vain. I appreciate that you're here on Sunday night and you're singing songs and you're looking at his word, but if you never think of him again the rest of the week, this becomes, in God's view, taking his name in vain. And the last one is presumption. This is probably the most sickening one to me. When you try to represent God to other people in the words you say and the life that you live, you try to use him as an endorsement of your life. I don't understand how in the Crusades people went out and killed people in the name of God. That's his name in vain. I don't know how even in the early years of the church how the church used scripture and preached scripture and yet supported slavery. How in the world treating another human being like that was consistent with the scriptures that we read? I'll never understand it, but there was a discrepancy, a dichotomy there somewhere, and it's called taking God's name in vain. 
You remember when Oral Roberts went to the top of that tower and said, God wants me to raise $8 million or it will strike me by light with lightning? Does anybody remember this? I'm going to, God is going to strike me with lightning if you don't give me $8 million. I really wanted to test him on that and see if it worked, but somebody came through for him. But that's using God's name in vain. The other day I was watching a commercial. You may have seen this. Selling holy water. Have you seen this? You watch this commercial and this guy gets on there and his little packet of water that they've blessed. And if you, if you pay the certain amount and they ship it to you or something, they'll give you holy water. I'm thinking you're selling a product using God as an endorser. That's sick. That is God's name in vain. I'm pretty sure God has nothing to do with it. I mean, he provided that water like he does all water, but how weird is that? When you attempt to represent the truth of God to somebody else, and your answer is not biblical, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You think that's true? When you are representing God, you're telling somebody else what God says about this and you're not biblically accurate. It has to be a form of taking God's name in vain. Be careful with the answers you give and if you don't know, you just don't know. I would rather say I don't know than to act like I do and misrepresent God. That's just got to be something we're careful with. There's probably other ways you can do it, but this is how we would take God's name in vain. And the opposite of all of these is how you refuse to. And it's just simply this. If I ever represent or speak God's name in a way that is not worthy of his name, and I fail to repent of it, I'm taking his name in vain. So make sure our lives... I'm going to say there's two ways to do this. Number one is this. Guard God's reputation in the world by living as faithfully to Him as we can. Start your day with our Father who art in heaven. May your name be seen as holy in my life. And may your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Make that your prayer every day that you represent Him well. One radical example of this is Phineas in, in Numbers 25 when God was blatantly disrespected by one of his own people, bringing a foreigner into his own tent right after God has said, this is a disgusting thing to me. And then he does it right in front of Israel and everybody stands around saying, what do we do? And Phineas, with absolute zeal, it says, takes a stake and drives it through them both. And God says, there's a man who's zealous for my name zealous for my name. He cannot stand a blatant disrespect among God's people for the nature of God. Let's be like that. Consider this from 1 Timothy. I think I put it on the screen. God's firm foundation stands bearing this description. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If you name the name of the Lord from your lips and you are one of his children, you bear the family name and you hate what God hates and you love what God loves and you will not let wickedness remain in you. A second way that you honor God's name is you teach his will as accurately as you know how. 
strictly by the Word of God. Knowing His will informs you of how you live, but it also empowers you to represent Him to others. Every word you speak should be truth. Every promise you make should be kept. Every covenant you enter should be honored. And every word that you answer about other people to other people must be faithful with the word he's given us. And if that's the case, you do these two things the best of your ability. You're going to honor the name of the father you wear. When you think about what God's done for us and what his son has done for us, how can we casually take his name and use it as a curse word? Anybody in here who's at a movie and it just constantly says GD over and over again, some point in time you need to walk out of that thing. Should have never gone. If you can stand to hear the name of the precious Savior that you sing about on Sunday, use that abusively and not cringe. We need to have a better primer on what he's done for us not let that happen. There really is something about that name, isn't there? There's something, because when you say the name, it, it brings to mind the history, the blessing, the nature, what he's done, what he will do, and where we're going, all by just saying the name of our God. When you say it, make sure that the context you're saying it in is as honorable as he is. You do that, and you'll honor his name, and he'll be honored to call you one of his. Because Jesus says this, whoever confesses his name before men, I'll confess your name before the Father. And if you don't, I won't. And the only chance any of us have, baptism included, the only chance any of us have is if Jesus stands for us. There's a great name. May we always honor it. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, the invitation stands open. It's open for you as we stand and sing. Uh -huh.